finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of Almighty God, praying always, praying always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we return to our series of the believer's warfare. And we ask, Lord God, that you be with us for the story. Send us the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us through this intense study of Ephesians. As we begin this morning, the breastplate of righteousness. Help us, O Lord God, to comprehend that which we are about to learn in thy word, that it will feed our bodies, our minds, our spirit, and our soul, that we, we, can, we can take it all in, Lord God. And therefore, as we, as we fight off the wiles of the devil with the, your armor, that we too shall be victory, or victorious, excuse me, that we shall be victorious in our battle. We ask these things today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Well, good morning and welcome back to Spiritual Awareness with Pastor D. We are a 501c3. Got to get my paper out because I can't remember half the time. <laughs> if you're new to our broadcast... Old age, boy, these are the golden years, I'm telling you. Praise the Lord. If you're new to our broadcast, we are a 501c3, a non-profit prayer ministry, a spirit-filled, Bible-believing beacon of light. We are a non-denominational ministry that serves the Lord Jesus Christ, both from Gospel of Faith Church in Ash Fork, Arizona, as well as from the worldwide broadcast studio here in Fort Mojave, Arizona. We are now broadcasting to over 31 um, different countries and provinces around the world. So no matter where you're listening to the sound of my voice, I want to welcome you to this study in the book of Ephesians. And I pray that, that you uh, are getting uh, into it and, and understanding each word. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Ephesians 6.14 as we go um, through this study. We're also going to be in First. Corinthians 15, 31, um, and I think we're going to be in Luke 14, but uh, I welcome you on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I pray for your healing, I pray for your 
whatever your needs are, I pray that the Lord would touch your heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Everybody say a, a, a joyous amen this morning. Wake us up. Amen. Praise you, Lord. I want to look at uh, what Paul described as the fight, the fight, the battle, and the believer. And Paul has begun an outline of the believer's armor. There are tremendous resources afforded to the Christian in um, in Scripture. Yet he need not become overconfident of his salvation and his victory in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. The Christian has received a vast number of blessings and resources. If you look at the belt of truth, the spirit, when allowed free reign in our lives, has the ability to produce spiritual fruit and accomplish any task. Even though the spirit dwells within each believer, there are still some requirements left for them. That they must fulfill. Paul starts the requirements in Ephesians 6 and 10. Finally, my brethren, and in these verses, Paul outlines the battle and the strategy, um, the enemy and the armor. And the sum of the whole aspect of spiritual warfare is found uh, in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So he says, put on the whole armor of God. And again, that same particular point is reiterated in verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. So scriptural knowledge is not enough. The battle is fought on a daily basis. In other words, I die daily. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31. In Luke 14, Jesus related a parable in verse 28 and 32 of a man who wanted to build a tower uh, and of a king who went to war. In both instances... In both instances, Jesus stated that they counted the cost before they ever started the plan and entered the construction phase of the task. And every king that entered the a battle would sit down and first evaluate all their resources before they began. Then he would consider his enemy, which in turn would lead to the development of his strategy. This is exactly what Ephesians 6 verse 10 is encouraging every single Christian to do. It is a point of evaluation and then a stimulus for the Christian to understand the greatness of God's resources and then maintain a spiritual walk with God. So today, let's take a look, if you will, at the belt of truthfulness, Ephesians 6 14. In our earlier study, Paul established that the belt was placed on for its truthfulness. It is a symbolic with uh, commitment, truthfulness, and preparedness. 
listen to what I said. It is a symbolic with commitment, truthfulness, and preparedness. Paul is affirming that the Christian soldier will win the battle when he gets serious about the battle. One of the most serious things that a man or woman can do is to get serious about the battle of which they're doing, whether it's drug addiction, alcoholism, whether it's in the marriage, no matter what it is, if it's their, the sin in their life, they must get serious about being saved. They must be serious about changing their lives. So perhaps herein lies one of the explanations as to why some Christians never can seem to be successful in their fight against the sin of the flesh. Because they simply do not allow themselves to mature enough spiritually to seriously fight that battle. There's there's no limit to what God can accomplish. We know that. When when all of God's troops get serious about a fight, often the in the uh, indictment of, of a soldier lies in his own lack of commitment. Peter exhorted that a, a, a man or woman should gird up the loins of their mind, in First Peter chapter, we said mind, mankind, gird up the loins of, of their mind in First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, write it down. The mind is one of the greatest battlefields that the devil can fight on. You know that. It's our mind that 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 wanders off first, right? The mind is one of the greatest battlefields that the devil can fight on. And Paul informed that one element of spiritual warfare was casting down of vain imaginations. Prepare the mind so that God may use it for his own glory. Hallelujah. That's where it's all at. And it's it's so significant. The girding up, the girding up. We have we, we've come to an understanding the char the charge to to gird up. We understand that it is a command for the preparation and the readiness for a particular task. Or a particular journey that we're about to embark on. The, the following examples are noted in reference to the act of girding up. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, the mind is girded up in preparation for the battle with the enemy. Exodus 29, 5, the priesthood was required to gird up in the priestly garments before ministering to, to the Lord. The Christian today needs also to spend time girding up in repentance, prayer, fasting, personal Bible study, commitment, love, etc. Before they approach the Lord for Christian ministry in Leviticus 8, 7, 8, 13 and 16, 4. In Judges 3 and 16, he had destroyed an enemy of God only after he had girded up with a sword. First Samuel chapter 25 and and 13, David's men girded up before going into battle. Second Samuel chapter 3 and 31, the people girded up with sackcloth while they mourned the death of Abner. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 8, 6 and 26 and 49, 3. Concerning mourning, 
the loss in, in sackcloth. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. Gehazi prepared himself to go to up to the mountain. Exodus 12 and 11. The children of Israel prepared to leave Egypt by girding up. Egypt is symbolic with sin. Egypt is symbolic with sin or with the world, if you will. To leave the world and sin, a man must repent or mankind must repent. To a sinner, repentance is but one of the first steps towards girding up. In Deuteronomy 1, 41 through 43, it proves to you and I the danger of girding up and going without God. We can gird up all the time, but we must go with God. Amen? Mankind cannot progress in the kingdom of Almighty God with simply their own accomplishments and talents. No man comes to the Father save through the Son. 2 Samuel 22 and 40, gird up with the power of God. Gird up with the power of God. Say it with me. Gird up with the power of God. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 46, Elijah girded up his loins and ran past the chariot of Ahab. This is the power of Almighty God. The progress is obtained unless mankind is fully girt about the loins with truth. So today, in Ephesians 6.14, we get down to the point of the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. And having on, and I quote, having on the breastplate of righteousness, end quote. So what is the history of the breastplate? No soldier would leave their breastplate behind. Even if they could, def could defeat his own personal foe, the archer, the spearman, could collapse by attacking them from a distance. Many times those distant weapons of the devil seem to be the most powerful. The man, uh, uh, they, they can attempt to bring us down more effectively than things that the devil may use up close. The breastplate has to be appropriate, appropriated because the chest is such a vital area. So we need the breastplate of righteousness to protect us. Paul saw a Roman soldier going into battle on many of his journeys. Not only is a soldier to be prepared and committed with the belt of truth, but his heart is to be protected with the breastplate of righteousness. It must have righteousness and holiness. Every soldier must have his heart protected because of the vileness of sin that exists around us. It has to be protected with righteousness and holiness. And the following biblical description display the heart. In um, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, depravity, in yeah, that word, ecclesiastics, uh, stubbornness, and madness, in 8 and 11, and 9 and 3. In Matthew 23, 25, extor extortion, excess, gluttony. In Mark 7, 21, the, the fountain, head of all evil. Hebrews 3, 12, 2 Peter 2 and 4, the source of the unbelief 
of covetedness in the days of the Romans and before, really, the breastplate was made of several different types of materials. A linen breastplate was placed on the chest and, and hung very low over the soldier's body. It was covered with the hooves of animals cut into thin slices and hooked together. Another type was formed out of a chain uh, mail. It was it was very heavy breastplate that was made of woven chains. In latter years, a molded chest piece made of metal because the most common type of breastplate. It, st it started at the base of the neck and extended to the upper thighs, and it guarded the vital areas of the trunk as well as the heart. The soldiers used to short so used excuse me the soldiers got tongue tied used short swords called daggers and it was not likely that decapitation um, would occur but the soldier would receive a mortal wound without the breastplate of righteousness and if the breastplate was securely in place the heart would be protected in today's world, we need to don the breastplate of righteousness because your heart is part of the place that the devil will attack. Amen. The devil's going to go after that. How many times have we been hurt? Our feelings are hurt. And we stray from the church because someone said something in the church or someone hurt our feelings. The devil goes to your heart. So God says, put on the whole armor of God, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. An order of the armor. One might ask, is there an order of importance in the armor? When Paul listed the weapons of the believer, did he intend for the weapon to come prioritized as in Ephesians 6, 10, and 18? It is very difficult to say that one piece of armor is more important than the other piece of armor. Paul exhorted the New Testament believer, take the whole armor of God. However, one must also uh, grasp the understanding of the importance of the breastplate of righteousness. If the righteousness does not exist in the life of the believer, then the soldier will lead a fruitful life, a fruitless life, excuse me. A commitment to righteousness will cause all the pieces of armor to come together. No righteousness will essentially lead to no armor. It'll just be a piece of metal. Each piece of armor, if interdependently related to one another, they're bound together, in other words. Now, the Jewish people have long made important references to both the heart and the bowels. The breastplate protected both the heart and the bowels, functional organs of the body, lungs, heart, liver, intestines. To, to, to grasp the concept of these organs being protected, the following area explains the importance of the heart and the bowels in relationship to the breastplate of righteousness. Now, this is a, a, a long list of different ones, so I'm just going to kind of skip over. The heart was uh, symbolic of the mind. The following tables uh, are examples of men and women and nations who left their heart unprotected by righteousness. Esau in Genesis 27, 41. Pharaoh in Exodus 7, 3, 13, 14, and 8, and 15. Sion in King of Heshbon in Deuteronomy 2, and 30. 
Samson, Judges 15, 15, 8. Um, I'd like you to write these down. I'll slow down. Saul in 1 Samuel 10 and 9. Nabal, 1 Samuel 25, 36. Uh, Michael in, in 2 Samuel 6, 16 and 1 Chronicles 15, 29. Abner, 2 Samuel 3 and 27. Amasa, 2 Samuel 20, 10. Um, Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11, 3 and 4. Ahab in 1 Kings 21, 7. Um, Ezekiel, 2 Chronicles 32, 25 and 26. Haman, Esther 5 and 9. The Fool in Psalms 14, 1. The Backslider in Proverbs 14, 14. King of Assyria, Isaiah 10, 12. The vile person in Isaiah 32, 6. And Jerusalem in Jeremiah 3 and 17. All of these. And the bowels were symbolic of feelings and emotions. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, 13, Paul best describes the type of emotions and feelings that are to be predominant the soldier's life. They are as follows. Mercy, kindness, meekness, humbleness of mind, long-suffering, forbearing, forgiving, and charity. Therefore, one comes to the understanding that the breastplate of righteousness actually guards and protects the mind, the thinking, and the emotions of the soldier or the child of God. Satan wants to attack the believer in these two vital areas. He wants to feed the emotions of, in, in an effort to warrant a response. The mind and the emotion encompass several things. These battlegrounds, are, battlegrounds and methods and wiles of the devil are as follows. Knowledge. The word of God falls on three types of bad ground. Matthew 13. The devil works to twist the truth. The devil works to twist the truth. He wants to make lies believable, perversions, immorality, excuse me, and half-truths are used. Psalms 95.8, Proverbs 28.14, 29.1, Romans 2.5, Hebrews 3.13, Ezekiel 33, Matthew 7.26. Then there's understanding. The devil does not want the Christian to interpret things correctly. This is where the doubt and the question comes on the scene. Is that the right church for me? Maybe that maybe I'm not welcome in that church. Maybe I should go somewhere else. Maybe I shouldn't go to church at all. I can find God anywhere. Those are all those doubts that the devil puts into your mind. This is where the doubt and the question comes on the scene. He creates apathy, which leads to the believer into failure. It is will it is will cause the believer to say, Oh, it isn't so bad after all. Tolerance to sin is because of the lack of understanding. Well, I can have one drink, maybe two. Well, it's been a long time since I did drugs. You know, one time's not going to hurt me. Sin is placed to soothing music, country western, soft rock. Sometimes that works. 
Conscience. The devil works to sear the conscience. Sin becomes easier to participate in without the voice of the conscience, convicting the, the believer. When the conscience is seared, men and women have the capability of living a life that is basically unacceptable to God. In Proverbs 23, 35, Isaiah 42, 25, Acts 28, 27, Ephesians 4, 19, and 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. We must have a will. So we've got conscience. We must have a will. The will is debilitated. God's will is no longer important nor sought out as it once was. The wills of the flesh, the will of the flesh, are now most important. In Romans 6, 16, 7, 23, 2 Timothy 2 and 26, and 2 Peter 2 and 19. Corruption of desires drives the, the affections. And the devil works to, to divide the allegiances, the careers, the hobbies, or just distractions from God altogether. And that can create our lives a spiritual void. We're away from God. We feel that void within our heart. But so much else is going around us that we just ignore it. All this, all of this can be circumvented by righteousness. If the Christian can protect their thinking and, and the feelings with righteousness, then they will become impregnable to the forces of the devil. Amen. Somebody, somebody lift your hands to heaven and shout amen this morning. So the practi practicality of the breastplate of righteousness is righteousness. When Paul exhorted that mankind should take the breastplate of righteousness, was he speaking of um, categorically? There are three types of righteousness to choose from. There's self-righteousness, imputed righteousness, and practical righteousness. So I want to take a look at those in the next few minutes. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is that which is self-conceived. This is one of the deceitful ways that the devil attempts to get mankind to fail in their daily walk with God. Jesus dealt precisely with this issue. When he gave the parable in Luke chapter 18, verse 9, Luke chapter 18, verse 9, read the story. The story was of the Pharisee who had arrived. It could have been entitled a good man who went to hell, a bad man who went to heaven. The comparison was of a, a, a publican that, and sinner. If a believer fall, falls trap to thinking that heaven is acquired because of how good they might be, then they have been deluded into a lie. Our own righteousness is as filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6. You've heard it. In Romans 3 and 10, reminds that no person, no person has a claim to righteousness, for there is no one who fulfills the bill. In Romans 3, 19 and 3 and 23. If any person could state that salvation comes because of self-righteousness, Paul surely could have been that person. In Philippians 3 and 4 and 5, Paul gives a list of the accomplishments. He speaks of his own self-righteousness. He stated that his pedigree contained a lineage from the tribe of Benjamin. This mark was an important one. In Genesis 35, Benjamin was the second son of Israel, twelfth of Jacob. 
and his beloved wife Rachel in 1 Kings chapter 12, the tribe of Benjamin formed the reconstituted Israel with Judah. In Ezra 4 and 1, Benjamin restored Israel after the captivity. Finally, in the book of Esther, the heroine was from the tribe of Benjamin. Paul could plainly say that his pedigree was right, yet Philippians 3 and 7 begins with a key word, and the word that changes everything, but, B-U-T, but, Paul's own righteousness was useless. In an earlier writing, Paul spoke of a man have, having become unprofitable, Romans 3 and 12. The Greek word for unprofitable speaks of going sour like milk. The whole human race has gone sour. If a man attempts to pick up the breastplate of self-righteousness, he will immediately become a victim of forces of hell. This lends us to the conclusion that Paul was definitely not speaking of our own righteous deeds. The second type of righteousness that Paul is speaking of is that of the works of Calvary, imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness is the righteousness that comes about immediately when one received the Holy Ghost. Only Jesus Christ can provide the righteousness that can save mankind from the wicked one. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, 1 John chapter 5, 18. Yet still something is missing. The imputed righteousness is not the full breastplate of righteousness that Paul hoped that all the world would wear. It was simply the first step towards gaining salvation. It was just the first step towards gaining salvation. I believe it was August. Tablady wrote a, a hymn that can help describe the works of Calvary. A debtor to mercy alone, of covenant mercy I sing, nor fear with thy righteousness on my person and offering to bring. The terrors of law and of God with me can have nothing to do. My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. And then there's practical righteousness. Say it with me, practical righteousness. This third type of righteousness is what Paul was referring to when he spoke of taking the breastplate of righteousness upon thyself. According to the Philippians 3 and 14, Paul recognized that imputed righteousness requires another step. And he stated, I press. Imputed righteousness is only that which makes practical righteousness possible. When mankind speak of practical righteousness, they are speaking of a scriptural principle and Christian living that is ever so important. Daily choices become important when living out the aspects of practical righteousness. Holy living, saints of God, holy living serves as a breastplate. And an old hymn by uh, I, I, the, the author escapes me right now, but it would translate out, I, I believe, by John Wesley, can also illustrate how that righteousness of Christ is important to every single person's daily lives. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress. Amidst flaming worlds in thy array, with joy I shall lift up my head. Bold I shall stand in that great day, 
For aught to my charge shall lay, fully through the absolved I am. From sin and fear, from guilt and shame, O let dead now hear thy voice. Now bid thy banished ones rejoice. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. Because few understand the precious price paid at the Calvary, holiness has become one of the lost commodities of the church. When a man or a woman loses their holiness, they lose three things which will cause a fourth resulting action. First, joy. Joy comes when a person is willing to pursue personal holiness. When David sinned with Bathsheba, what was his request? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, Psalms 51.12. Personal holiness can be drowned by materialism, immorality, humanism, and multi uh, multiplicity of other things. Loss of fruitfulness. You know, I, I often said, I often said, you know, you look out from, from the pulpit and you look down into the pews and oftentimes you look like you're preaching to a, to a, to a church full of junkyard dogs. There's no smile. There's no, there, there's no gleam in the eye. What's happened to the church? They've lost their joy. They've lost the spirit. They've lost their fruitfulness. This occurs because when a believer loses their holiness, they will struggle with a great weight of guilt. Guilt hangs like an, an albatross about the necks, leading them to never gain an intended ground that they should gain. And then, then, then there's the loss of reward. According to Second John chapter 8, a man or woman who loses their commitment to holiness and the communion with God will lose the full reward that God has in store for them. And then there's a reproach, excuse me, a re, yeah, reproach. The reproach on God's glory. When all mankind lose their holiness, they cause numerous people around them to fail. A reproach is brought to the church, and some may even feel that the religion, the thing is a, a hoax. That is why every Christian has to be on a red alert during their movement within the world. Before they walk into the door of the church, they should put on the full armor of God. They should never take it off. So in conclusion for this lesson, the breastplate of righteousness must be worn to assist us in battle. We need the understanding that we are nothing more than strangers and pilgrims looking for a city high on a hill. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 to 12, Hebrews 11, 3. We sing that song, A City on the Hill. We must endure hardness and not become entangled in the affairs of this life. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, 4. We're not from this world. This is not where we are. We may be here, but we're not part of here. We belong to heaven's kingdom. No man can be in the army and live by the rules of civilians at the same time. There must be a distinct line of separation between us as Christians, children of God, and this world. Though many foes beset you round, and feeble is your arm, 
Your life is hid with Christ in God beyond the realm of harm. Weak as you are, you shall not faint, or fainting shall not die. Jesus, the strength of every saint, shall aid you from on high. Though perceived, or so, though unperceived by mortal sense, faith sees him always near, a guide, a glory, a defense. Then what shall have you to fear? As surely as he overcame and triumphed once for you, so surely you that love his name shall in him triumph too. Now, I am looking at the screen. I'm looking past the screen. I'm looking into your home. I'm looking into your heart, into your very mind. And I'm saying, I send peace. I send tranquility. I send the love of our Savior to each and every one of you listening to this broadcast today. I pray that today, today, as you listen to this broadcast, God would touch you. You would feel the shivers down your spine as God touches your heart, your body, your mind, your soul. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you until he brings us back once again. God bless you.